And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Walter E. Williams. He's an American economist, commentator, and academic, and the John M. Olin Distinguished Professor of Economics at George Mason University. He's also a syndicated columnist and author. Uh, Dr. Williams, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. You know, there was an article recently in the Daily Signal that was published, and it talked about uh, a narrative that progressives use, uh, and yet their narrative is making crime in communities worse off. Can you describe what that article is all about? Well, well, just, just very briefly, the uh, narrative I've talked about is that uh, a lot of people will blame uh, academics, intellectuals, and leftists and politicians they will blame the high rate of crime that we see in so many black communities on things like poverty and racial discrimination and maybe the lack of opportunity. Now, that, that just does not hold water in the sense that if you look back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, when, there were, when, when the black Americans encountered far greater discrimination than, than accounted today and were much poorer than uh, today, uh, the, the the crime level was nowhere near that of uh, today. Mm-hmm. And to to get, put it in a little bit of perspective so that the, the listeners can appreciate it, just in one city in Chicago alone, uh, last year there were close to 800 homicides and close to 5,000 shootings. Now, I'm very sure that if you went back to the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, you wouldn't find anything like that. And, and, the, and, and black Americans were far, as I said, they were far poorer and faced fewer opportunities and faced uh, greater discrimination. So that does not explain it. Uh, I think one of the things that helps explain a lot of the disorder in black communities and other communities as well is what has happened to the family structure. Yes. Um, that is, uh, uh, only 32 or 33% of black Americans today, black youngsters today, live in two-parent households, whereby in the, uh, in, in the uh, 1920s, in some cities, it was high as 85% living in two-parent families. Mm. The, the illegitimacy rate among black Americans is... Uh, close to 75%. That is, 75% of of uh, black children are born out of wedlock. And in 1940, in the 1930s, the illegitimacy rate among blacks was 12%. Uh, and matter of fact, the illegitimacy rate among whites back then was uh, about 3%, and today it's around 30%. Mm. And so I, I think that the, the, the welfare state... Uh, has contributed a lot to the breakdown in, in values, the breakdown in families, and uh, and we're not going to do anything. We're not going to get anything accomplished unless we do something about the uh, about coddling criminals, about uh, uh, do something about the welfare state. Yeah, yeah. As uh, before, we opened the mic. I was thinking about uh, we we live near a little town called Kingston, New York. And uh, you probably never heard of it, about halfway in between uh, Albany and New York City. And Kingston, New York, is pushing for themselves to become a sanctuary city. And to me, that's shocking. I'm thinking, why, why intentionally break the law and make it so that uh, we have more crime and, and we need more social services and all of that stuff? You're, you're 
you're absolutely right. And and rather interestingly, if you ask these people who are who are uh, calling for sanctuary cities, uh, what that is in effect, it's nullification of federal law. It is that is just ignoring federal law. And and ask the same people. Well, would would it be okay if a city in New York just ignored EPA law? That is. Yeah. <laughs> The, you know the uh, laws on the on the on the you know environment environmental uh, regulation. Uh, I, I I don't think they would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it, you know it it's it saddens me. It truly saddens me. Uh, Doctor Williams is, you know, you see these things on the news. Let's say a little while ago it was Baltimore and and the rioting, or we see uh, in Philadelphia. I remember seeing a video not long ago of a radical Islam person walking up, full garb, uh, gun in hand, just shooting a cop. And, and these things, I feel, like, I feel like I'm back in the 60s almost, seeing riots and that sort of thing. Yeah, right. And, and speaking of, uh, of, uh, of uh, cops, uh, there's an excellent book uh, by uh, Heather McDonald. It's called war on, The War on Cops. Mm. And it 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 documents uh, the, uh, uh, the you know actual killing of cops and the disrespect of cops and 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 again uh, this is uh, something entirely new and I think that uh, many police officers you know, you know part of the narrative as I pointed out in the column is that uh, people say that it's racist cops that are that are shooting black people right well it turns it turns out uh, in in twenty fifteen. The uh, policemen across the nation shot and killed 986 people. Uh, of that number, 595 were white, and 258 were black, and and uh, and I believe uh, 172 were uh, Hispanics. And it turns out, so far as the racist narrative, the narrative that is given to policemen, it turns out that there's a far greater probability of a of a black being shot by a black policeman. Than a black being shot by a white policeman. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and so and and matter of fact, it's a, it's a study uh, done by uh, colleagues of mine, John R. Lott, and uh, and and uh, Carlisle uh, Moody of the Crime Prevention Research Center, and it's worthwhile looking at. But see that one of the tragedies and the dishonesty is that the news media would not give coverage to such a report. That is, right. if, you're, if you're a black person committing engaged in criminal activity, you're far more likely to be shot by a black cop. And one of the reasons is, is that uh, white cops, they risk their lives and, 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 and because they're hesitant to shoot, they're more hesitant to shoot a black person because they don't want to face the charges of racism. Yes. And so, so, uh, so they, there's a, uh, several studies that have shown a greater reluctance and a greater hesitation of white cops confronting a black criminal than, than black cops front, uh, confronting a black criminal. Yeah. You know, some people may say, why are you so concerned about this? Why are you having this interview today? And yet, we live in the Hudson Valley, and, and one of the worst cities is um, not far from where I live, and that's uh, Newburgh, New York, in terms of the crime rate. Violent crimes. It's one of the highest violent crime city in the in the state of New York, and um, it's going forward. In the last minutes, we have you here, Doctor Williams. Um, any any advice? Let's say there's a leader out there, and he he or she wants to do right. How would you advise them? 
Well, I, I think that one of the things that we have to do, as I point out the last sentence in that uh, column, and by the way, all of my columns are available at uh, WalterEWilliams.com. It's my website, WalterEWilliams.com. But, but in the last sentence in the column, I point out that, to, uh, that, that it does not pay a black or white politician to take those actions that will reduce crime in black neighborhoods, because he's going to get a whole lot of flack. Uh, uh, and, you know, but so, so what I said is that it's going to require that black people uh, that uh, create the environment where policemen can do their job, uh, where where uh, policemen, you know, like for example, in New York City, during the Juliana uh, Giuliani uh, era, mm-hmm. uh, they they had stop and frisk. And that that lowered the crime rate. It's and it saved so many black lives. Yes. And uh, and and we have to have, have uh, um, uh, black people have to support that kind of stuff. That is another thing that happens in black neighborhoods. Is this uh, create do not snitch, and that is do not tell on criminals. And that's like giving uh, criminals carte blanche to oh, to, sure. to to uh, to you know to uh, terrorize the community. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And and then, but I think that ultimately the long term solution is that we're going to have to build up communities, we're going to build up families. That is, amen to that. Be, before, yeah, before you have a baby, you know, you ha- you should uh, get married first. Yeah. Uh, so that there, so that there can be a family structure to raise kids. That is, in my view, and people might like might not like my saying my saying it, but. Boy, little boys are born barbarians, <laughs> and it and 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 we only have eighteen years to try to civilize them, yeah. uh, and before we pass them off on the rest of society, and much of the civilization of a boy, it go, it comes from the father. Mm. That is from the father laying down the law, and 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 if necessary, getting physical with the kid. That's right. Uh, and so, but however, if there are no fathers present, well. We're not going to have that input, and and many of the kids who are in jail, who are engaging in all kinds of criminal activities, they come from fatherless homes. Mm-hmm. And yes. so, and what makes fatherless homes far more success, uh, far more uh, prevalent is the welfare state. Mm-hmm. That is, that is, women uh, will have a baby, and the, and there's no requirement that the uh, that the father of the baby act, take care of the baby. He can just walk away. And, and and put his responsibilities on the taxpayers. Yes, oh, it's so true. And 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 another thing that people fail to realize, and I don't see it spoken of anywhere, is that the crime in black communities imposes the huge cost on law-abiding black people. That right. is, uh, 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 supermarkets are not as prevalent in high-crime neighborhoods. Because the you know supermarkets uh, they they run a very very close margin and they can't handle uh, uh, theft and no. other kinds of costs. If you look in low crime neighborhoods, as I pointed out in the column, you'll see uh, in supermarkets you'll see merchandise left outside and sometimes outside overnight. Yeah, but, and because they can trust the people, you know, FedEx or UPS, uh, they'll drop valuable packages off at the doorstep. Uh, if someone, no one answers the door, but in high in high crime neighborhoods, they can't do that because uh, they, uh, merchandise will be stolen. So what it means is that people in the high crime neighborhoods they have to go to go go to the FedEx office, or or the FedEx has to uh, read deliveries, the deliver stuff. Yeah, and 
And there's so many other costs involved in the crime. And then the, just the emotional one with murder. <clears throat> I don't care, as I point out in the column, I don't care whether you're a criminal or not. You, got, you have people who love you. And when, 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 when somebody is murdered, the police have to go inform the family that the person is murdered, and it's and and and, uh, and and how long or whoever gets over completely over the fact that a father or a son or a daughter or a husband or wife has murdered that that's something that you live with oh, for a lifetime. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I was I was doing a search online. I wanted to learn a little bit more about your writings and whatnot, and uh, I came across a, a video that you did on capitalism, and you were pointing out that it is a moral system. Any comments about that? Well, the, the, the essence of capitalism, or, or free market system... Yeah, free market. The, the, the only way that you have a claim on what your fellow man produces is to be able to satisfy your fellow man. You know, look, for example, as I point out in one of the articles, is that, say, say that I mow, you, you hire me to mow your lawn. And after mowing your lawn, you give me $20. Well, what does that $20 really mean? <laughs> well, when I go to the grocer, I, and, and I say, well, look, I'd like to have a, a six-pack of beer and several pounds of steak that my fellow man produced. Well, the grocer says to me, in effect, he says, Williams, you're making a claim on your fellow man. Uh, what did you do to serve your fellow man? Mm-hmm. You're asking him to serve you by giving you some beer and some steak, what did you do to serve him? <laughs> and I say, well, I mowed his lawn. And he says, prove it. And that's when I give him the $20. Right. The $20, we can think of the $20 as certificates of, uh, of performance. It's proof that I've served my fellow man. And I think that it's a far more moral system that requires, in order for you to have a claim on what your fellow man produce produces, you must serve him. Now, contrast the morality of that with, the, the, with, with government allocation of resources. The government can say, look, Williams, you know, it's hot, and, it's, and, and, and you don't have to get out there and do that dirty work and, and mow your fellow man's lawn. What we'll do, we will take what he produces and give it to you. Mm. Now, th- that's, that's far, uh, uh, far less uh, moral than, than the free yeah. market system. And I'm, and I'm very sure when God gave Moses the commandment, thou shalt not steal, he did not mean that thou shalt not steal unless you got a majority of vote <laughs> in the United States Congress. So true. <laughs> and, and so much of what government does is, can be described as the government taking what rightfully belongs to one person and giving it to another to whom it does not belong. I don't care whether you talk about business bailouts, farm subsidies, food stamps, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you, you should not uh, misunderstand me. I believe in helping one's fellow man in need. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think that helping one's fellow man in need by reaching in your own pockets to do so is praiseworthy and laudable. That's right. Helping one's fellow man by reaching into somebody else's pockets to do so, I think it's worthy of condemnation. Mm, yes. Yeah, we, we want to help our fellow man, but that's like a personal thing. That's not uh, getting government involved in, in, in a legalized thievery type of a framework. You're absolutely right. And, and, and that's the word, the correct word that you use, correct phrase, legalized theft. Mm. Because 
government does those things, which if a person did the same thing privately, he would be condemned as an ordinary, low-down, despicable thief. Yeah. That is, if, if I take your money to help somebody, uh, to, to provide housing for a homeless person, uh, well, I, you know, I would go to jail, regardless of what I did with the money. <laughs> it's, it's, it's legalized theft. Yeah. And so I think that this is one of the big changes that's happened in our society over the years. I, 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 I've, <laughs> I'm getting ready to have my 81st birthday <laughs> uh, in, 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 at the end of March, and, and this is, uh, you know, these kind of things did not happen in the 20s, 30s, and no. 50s. That is, people being dependent on the welfare state. Matter of fact, it was an embarrassment for so many people who had to take relief during the, the, during the Great Depression. Mm. It was an embarrassment. Yeah, that's right. And it, there's another issue, I, if I can just keep another minute, um, and that is the minimum wage. You know, it, it's, it kind of appeals to people. They say, oh, these people need help, and they shouldn't have to work for, you know, 10 bucks an hour or whatever. But what's your views on the minimum wage? Well, I've, I've written uh, um, tons of stuff about the minimum wage and done a lot of interviews on it. And the I think that most people when who support the minimum wage law, they have good intentions. Right. They 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 want people to be able to uh, uh, live better. But when we look at a policy, we cannot look at the intentions. We have to ask, what are the effects of a minimum wage law? Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and you see the effects of the minimum wage law if you put yourself in the place of an employer. And let's say that the, the, uh, the, the minimum wage that you can pay any worker is uh, $7.25 an hour. Well, ask yourself, would you, if you must pay, no matter whom you hire, $7.25 an hour, cents an hour, would you hire that person who is so unfortunate so as to have skills that would enable him to produce only $3 an hour's worth of value. Right. Well, most employers would look at that as a losing economic proposition. Yeah. That is to have to pay somebody seven something, $7 and something an hour when that person can only produce $3 worth of value. Yeah. So the effect of the minimum wage law is to discriminate against the employment of low-skilled workers. Oh. And who are the low-skilled workers in our society? Well, for the most part, they're teenagers, and teenagers don't—they uh, don't have the maturity and the experience of adults. And black teenagers are doubly hurt because not only do they share the handicaps of teenagers in general, it's the fact that they've gone to rotten schools from broken homes. And and what the minimum wage law does—it cuts off the bottom rung's economic ladder. That is, for these for many kids, in order to become more useful to an employer in the future, he has, they, they need to get get it uh, on-the-job training and uh, because they're not going to get it in their schools and they're not going to get it in their homes, things that will make them more valuable worker in the future. And so with the minimum wage law, it, it cuts off the bottom runs of the economic ladder. And just one other statistic, and these are all available on my website, mm-hmm. the, uh, the unemployment rate among blacks in, in 1948 the unemployment rate was 9.8%, and white teenage unemployment was 10.4 or 10.2. Mm-hmm. Today, the unemployment rate of black teenagers in some cities is as high as 50%. Oh, my. And, and, and among white teen, teenagers, it's around 20%. Mm-hmm. And, and the way you explain this growth increase in unemployment among teenage unemployment is just look at what has happened to the minimum wage law, and then plus there are other labor regulations as well. 
what what uh, your listeners should do is just check out my webpage, and I have a lot of very interesting videos and a lot of research that I've done on minimum wage and, and regulation and many other activities, many uh, uh, activities that people should know about. And I think that one of the, if I might say this in in, uh, in passing, is that I'm very pleased to uh, to to be interviewed by you because it seems like many many people. Who are who who are ministers, uh, uh, pastors, and uh, and and other clergy? They uh, they 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 don't make the moral case for the for free markets and morality. There's this connection between free markets there and is. morality, and I'm very very pleased to, uh, that you're doing it. Oh, praise the Lord! Uh, quick question: If someone wants to read more about economics um, from a um, you know, a freedom perspective. Any any suggested readings for them? Well, there's a lot, lot of re- suggested readings on my site, and then there's excellent books uh, that that's been translated into several different languages by my colleague, uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell, S O W E. Oh yes, and it's called Basic Economics. Yes, I've got that book here in my living room. Actually, it's it's a yes. big, thick book, and it's yes. kind of it's a, a red red and black color, as I recall. Yeah, and I think he's, he's. I think he might have uh, updated it uh, uh, recently. Okay, but uh, that that's it, it. Does not have a single equation, no economic jargon <laughs> in there, and but it's an excellent book in explaining uh, economics to the ordinary person. Yeah, and, and then plus uh, on my website there are a lot of recommendations and and a lot of videos and other kind of interesting stuff that will get people. Uh, uh, kind of, I, I think they get people interested in economics and at least uh, learn, uh, uh, you know, how, how to stand up to the people who are who are preying on us. Yes, yes, and this is a human interest. You got me going here. Human interest question: When you get kids coming into your class today, it seems like there's cell phones and textings and cell phones, and they're 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 in another world. How do you handle that? Well, in, in my class, the first day of class. I tell students that if there's if, if a cell phone goes off in my classroom, there's a five percent reduction of the total points that a student's going to earn in the <laughs> semester. And if it goes off twice, the same student, it's ten percent. Yeah. And so, I, and I I think having uh, using cell phones and having them go off in class and or at concerts or 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 even perhaps in in church i mean it's it's disrespect it is it's 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 inconsiderate and it's disrespectful and and it's wor- it's i think one of the worst examples of this is to have is to uh is is, is at a concert there's a person playing a violin or a piano uh, and and all of a sudden a cell phone goes off and very, very distracting. I oh, think, yeah. I, I think we, we, I mean, there's a lot of rudeness and crudeness in our society. <laughs> yeah. And I believe that our parents, if we could resurrect, let's say, our grandparents, they would not believe what goes on today. Yeah, and you can't concentrate for any length of time to really study a subject if you're being interrupted every 15 to 30 seconds with a text message. Right. I mean, even even during this interview, because, you know, we run a network here, I've had like literally six calls just came in and I'm trying to silence this stupid cell phone. So, you know, it doesn't interrupt with the with the interview. Today, we've been talking with Dr. Walter E. Williams, and it's a great honor to talk to you, Dr. Williams. If if a student wants to uh, 
further their education, uh, any schools of, uh, that you might recommend for them to go to? Well, I mean, there are some very good schools uh, that uh, uh, I'm on the board of, uh, well, it's emeritus status now, but I'm on the board of trustees of Grove City College. Oh, yes. And, uh, and, and also, I'm not on the board, but I'm very, very, very close relationship with Hillsdale College. And what's so notable about these colleges, these two colleges I mentioned, and I think there are a few more, mm-hmm. is that they do not accept a dime of government money. Oh, very nice. And, 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 and they're principal people, and if your kids go to these colleges, they, they'll, they'll come out as, as young, moral adults. Oh, I love it. And people might say, why are you saying that's very nice? But it's nice because where government money goes, there flows control. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending your time, Dr. Williams, and we just pray God's blessing on you and keep up the good work. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.